Bill, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you will, uh, hopefully you have already turned to the passage in 1 Peter. We are going to continue our study there this morning. I do want to say just a couple of uh, words as, as one is kind of an announcement or an invitation and the other one um, in jumping into our text. And that is, is that one of the things that's interesting is we've been uh, broadcasting this this over YouTube is that um, we can see the number of people who are viewing this and, and one of the things that we know um, is that there are folks uh, who live in and around the area who have been checking us out on YouTube and we are thankful for you um, and just want you to know that if you um, are looking for a church home uh, you are welcome to come and join us as we look to reopen. Um, the two service times are going to be 9 and 11, and uh, those who are regular attenders will get assigned a service, but we just welcome you in uh, whichever service that, that you feel comfortable um, coming to, and we just wanted you to know that. Um, I do want to wish um, the mothers, uh, and, and really all the ladies of our church, um, a happy Mother's Day. Uh, in years past, if we, as we have talked about Mother's Day, you know that our opinion and take on Mother's Day is that uh, in the family of God, um, that there are many mothers, even if they don't physically have children, that there are many women who act as mothers uh, to us and to our uh, children. And so we want to uh, just say a special um, blessing uh, for you. And uh, oddly enough, as we look at this passage this morning... Um, I think there's a, a message for mothers here, and, and I want to lay that out at the beginning, and that is this, as, as Bill prayed, and as John uh, led us in worship this morning, one of the things that we know that our ultimate goal is not to uh, be good citizens or to be good people, but our ultimate goal is to glorify God. Our ultimate goal is to live and operate in such a way that people see Christ in us and so as, as mothers, uh, as, as you are mothering children, one of your goals should be to raise your children in such a way that they understand this aim and they understand this goal. And so as we go along this morning and we talk about uh, these verses, what I want to challenge you with from the very beginning is that do we have the kind of homes, are we... Um, instructing and teaching our kids in the kind of way where they understand how they are to operate in the world. And um, over the next couple of weeks and, and maybe month, uh, we'll be talking about the different ways that we're called to operate as Christians in the world. Um, so, so that's going to be important this morning. The other thing that's going to be important is that it is very timely as we are dealing with... Um, uh, this COVID virus, and we are dealing with the intersection of, of government and um, uh, gatherings together and government coming in in America and suggesting and imposing things on us that we are not used to. Uh, it is important for us to hear this message this morning to know uh, how we are and how we should respond as um, believers in Christ. So it's going to be important this morning, uh, this message, and is very uh, timely. Now, as we start this morning, as I've already said, and if you've been with us in this 
in this book of 1 Peter, one of the themes that you know is all throughout this book is that this world is not our home. This world and the things of this world is not our ultimate home. And so when the Bible instructs us, and as we are looking at this book, and as we all of a sudden are, are talking about government authorities and how we're supposed to operate, the Bible is not a manual to tell us how to operate in the world necessarily. What the Bible is, is the, the Bible is a word from God that teaches us about who we are and who He is and, and how we can live and move and be in this world in such a way that brings Him the glory. And this is the aim of our life. It should be the aim of our church and it should be the aim of our families. The, the glory of God. And that's different than just being good citizens. And I hope by the end you will see this. Now this section, um, we are looking at obeying and submitting to the authorities over us. And it seems pretty simple. But, but what I want you to see is that there is a, there is a deeper, um, there is a deeper uh, a context here or, or a deeper exhortation that we are to get. It's not merely just be good citizens. And one of the things that you need to know is that as Peter was writing, um, it wasn't like that he was sitting down writing this letter to these people and just had this random thought that entered his head of, oh yeah, I should probably say something about government. Um, th this letter is put together in a certain way, and, and there is a theme running throughout, and this does not just come out of thin air or out of nowhere. And I want you to see just real quickly again the theme so you can understand um, why now and why Peter puts in this exhortation for us at this point. As, as we begin this letter in the first chapter in verses uh, 1 or, and 2, we're told, to those who reside, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Again, if we uh, look in chapter 2, we hear some similar words. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against the soul. Also notice the other theme. So one of the themes is that these folks are aliens, they're strangers, they're not at home in this world, they're not at home in, in, in the areas in which they inhabit. But also notice something else that Peter is telling his readers. In verse 23 of chapter 1, You have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is through the living and enduring word of God. And, and that leads to Peter telling us in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10, you are a chosen race. Think about this. You are a chosen race if you are in Christ. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. 
You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so what we see is that as Peter is writing to these group of individuals who are not at home within the society, within the context, within the, uh, the, the government in which they are living, and Peter has told them who they are because of Christ, Peter knows that there might be a temptation among them uh, to do some things that he doesn't want them to do, that God doesn't want them to do. There might be the temptation to isolate themselves. And say, we are not of this world, so we are going to go over here, we're going to isolate ourselves, and we're going to form our own little community and do our own little thing and just not listen to what's going on in the world around us. There might have been the temptation, and we certainly see this today, for some uh, who are believers to, to, to look at who they are in Christ and to kind of act like they're above or snub their nose at the world around them. And so I think it's timely that Peter, in this letter, begins to talk about authority and submitting to authority um, over us. I mean, think about it. He had just told them who they are. They're God's own people. And they're living in a country, in an area that are governed by these pagan kings who don't understand who they are. Now, in, in getting to the main point of this text, I would ask you to remember two weeks ago, we looked at verses 11 and 12. And look at verse 12 again. Because this is the key to understanding this passage. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. And the main point today, and really over the next couple of um, times that we get back into First Peter and study, is this. No matter what your circumstance is, as a Christian, we are to live as a faithful witness to Christ. No matter what your circumstance, we are to live as a faithful witness to Christ. Uh, another way to say this, um, something that just in my study just kept ringing in my own ears is this, is that when people see us as Christians, they should see Christ in us. That people should see Christ in Christians. So when it comes to us living as citizens among other groups of people, other people should see Christ in us. And this must be our starting point. We must, as we look at this passage on authority and honoring authority and submitting to authority, our starting point must be this idea that we are called into this world to be faithful witnesses for God's glory, or else we are going to greatly abuse this text and it's not going to make much sense. So, I want as we begin, I think it's helpful, we're not going to go into a deep study of, of the context and the world, uh, the society in which this is written, but I do just want to dip my toe in it just a little bit. Um, as, these, as Peter is writing to these Christians, 
these Christians are not in a great political situation. Um, we know that there was a level of persecution that was taking place. That, from the time of this writing on, is, is ratcheted up and would hit this crescendo that was not good um, for Christians. Uh, we know that uh, being in a, in a Roman colony, being a stranger, being an alien, being an outsider, that you were under Roman rule, but you weren't treated as a Roman citizen. Think about Paul. When, when Paul was arrested, uh, and Paul claimed his Roman citizenship, how he got treated differently. These folks in whom Peter were, was writing to, um, many of them, if not all of them, as Christians, would not have had this, this right to call into. Um, they were also mischaracterized. Look at verse 12 and 15 and notice uh, what's going on. It's easy to see. Uh, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that we see from this text that the Gentiles, the outsiders, are seeing Christians as evildoers. Again, look in verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. So, so not only were they uh, marginalized um, because of the culture and the government around them, but they were seen as evildoers. And we know this from some of the writings of the time. Um, I, I was reading in a book and it referenced uh, a Pliny, a writer um, of this time, and we know from other historians of this time that Christians were looked at as uh, troublemakers. They were looked at as uh, cannibals. They were looked at as uh, rebel rousers. They were looked at... Um, in all kinds of ways um, that were anti-society and anti-civilization. Now, added to this, added to this, was that the king and emperor, at the time of this writing, at the time the people would have been receiving this letter, was a guy named Nero. And, and some of you may be familiar with him. I actually read a biography um, about him, written by a non-Christian about a year, year and a half ago, uh, and it was fascinating. It was not G-rated. Uh, this man was, uh, uh, I, I think it's fair to call him a, a, a maniac. Um, he was driven by lust. Uh, he had his, uh, eventually had his own mother killed. Uh, he had family members killed. Uh, there were all sorts of wild uh, parties and wild things that went on around him. He did not seem mentally Stable. He was a pagan of pagans. And, and you think about it, in this day and in this time, there was still a level of emperor worship as if the emperor were a god. And so these Christians were operating under Nero. This is who the authorities over them were. Ultimately, ultimately, Nero would lie about um, Christians setting fires in Rome that led to increased Horrible persecution. And the other thing that we know is it was under Nero that Paul was beheaded and that Peter himself was hung upside down. Not a great guy. But this was nothing new. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in being crucified uh, and being put to death, that Rome was used as an instrument uh, that led to his uh, his, his being killed. 
And not only that, but from day one of after Pentecost, when the church was formed, you see Rome coming in and okaying at least, tolerating, and then in some cases sponsoring uh, persecution. So this is the context. This is the context these folks were living under. And so what would you expect... What would you expect under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for Peter to write? We know what he writes, and so I want to unpack that. And so first, you're going to see the flow of the text, and then I want to jump into some practical implications for us. And I just want you to know there is so much here. I have left so much out, um, but I'm going to try to wrap up the flow of this in a way that is understood and so that you see the main argument in the text and then we could spend literally hours upon hours looking at implications and I've just picked a few that I want to um, I want to point out but first let's look at the, uh, the the flow of the text and the first thing I want you to see is the argument and we we see that at the very beginning submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution so whether to a king um, as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right in God. What we see that as Peter enters this, this section of this letter, he first tells us to submit to the king. Later in verse 18, he talks about slaves, servants being submissive to their masters. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, he says in the same way, you wives be submissive to your husbands. And in all three of those contexts, what we understand is that Peter is asking his readers to be submissive to people who were probably not Christians. Now, it doesn't mean, and we'll talk about this in a minute, that there's never an exception to this submission, um, but, but the exception shouldn't be the rule either. And so as we look at this, we've, I want you to see what is going on. Now, notice... Notice who he is saying to submit to. At first glance, as we read this, we see that he's saying, submit yourself to human institution, whether a king as the one in authority. And then what he lays out is kind of the, um, what we would see is the, the flow of, of governance as it would go from king on down and to governors. Um, and, and so what Peter is doing here is he's saying, Submit to every type of governing authority over you from the king on down. The way that I've kind of looked at it is that we, are sub- we in our culture, are to submit uh, to our governing authorities from president to congress on down to neighborhood associations. <laughs> and we'll look at that in a minute. And Some of you may be like, oh no, I'm turning this off. I'm not cutting my grass today, you know. But, but I want you to see the point that Peter is making. The big thing here is, is we've seen the scope of who we are to submit to, but don't miss the most important part of this. Notice in verse 13, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. So our submission to the authorities over us is for the Lord's sake sake. Look again at verse 15. For such is the will of God. For such is the will of God. You could structure verse 15 by saying this. 
Submit because it is the will of God. And then again, there's something going on here in the text that's not, uh, that's not easily seen in, in English. But in verse 13, uh, notice it says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. There's this really odd kind of play on words. And that, that wording there, human institution, means uh, created thing. Um, now, in the vernacular of the day, those who were reading that would have understood it was used to talk about government. But Peter, I really believe, is drawing something out by using this wording to, to really point out, I get it that government is a created thing and that there is something much higher, and that is God and His rule and His sovereignty and His created uh, purposes. And so again, I think even in using this vernacular, what Peter is pushing us to is that in submission to the governing authorities, we are obeying God, we are obeying His will, we are obeying His plan, and we are obeying His structure. And so this is the force of the text here. Now, the second thing I want you to see is the purpose of of submission. And we see this in verse 14. For, submit to the governing authorities and all those rovers, for they are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so I, you see two things here. So the first thing that you see, and we also see this in Romans chapter 13, is that government has been given as a structure, uh, when it's functioning properly, uh, to both reward doing right and to punish evil. That, that that's the structure. And, and we know, you know, no government does this perfectly. We, we can't point to a situation, we can't point to a, a government or ruling authorities who do this perfectly. Um, however, what we do know is that we can point to examples where anarchy has taken place, where lawlessness has taken place, and we can see that when that happens, those structures, those governments, those lands, those peoples no longer exist because they don't have those guardrails to keep society functioning properly. Even some of the worst dictators, even some of the worst people in history, some of the worst examples of government um, had some level, and I would put Nero in this category, had some level of helping society function in such a way that it deterred evil and promoted good. Now, I, I think this is important because what I think Peter is telling us is as he is talking about the purpose of submission, is that within this structure, as Christians, we have the ability to shine. We have the ability to shine. If this structure is there, and there is an evil, and there is a good, that we have the ability to function in such a way that those around us see us and see our good deeds. Remember, when Jesus was questioned by the authorities, 
Remember what the proclamation was. I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man who the religious leaders said was trying to cause an uprising against Rome. Submit. And part of the purpose of submission, or the purpose of submission, is that we are seen as good citizens who want to see the flourishing of society, who want to see the good of all. The way that I like to think of this is, this fits under the category of love of neighbor. That as Christians, we, we take the command to love God and to love our neighbor so seriously that we're willing to engage and to be part of this flawed structure out of hopes that we are seen as an agent of good. So examples of this may be that we um, drive in ways that keep others safe even when we disagree about uh, the pace in which we should drive to keep others safe. That we pay our taxes because our taxes are used for things that for the betterment of society. Um, schools, roads, etc. That we... If we live in a neighborhood where there is a neighborhood covenant and we are supposed to abide by certain rules, even if we think that they are silly, that we shouldn't be seen as that neighbor who is rebelling against these sets of covenants that others have come up with to promote well-being within the neighborhood. Now, this isn't the only purpose, and this hits at the broader point that we see in verse 15. That by doing good, by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. That we, by doing good, the purpose of submission, by doing good and submitting, that we may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And one of the things that we we know and that we see and we've seen in this text and I've already mentioned today is that there is a preconceived idea, there is a preconceived notion about who Christians were and what they stood for and that they were troublemakers. And so when Peter is writing here and saying part of this submission is so that you silence the ignorance. So that they, out of ignorance, they have put this judgment on us and so the key is, is that we live in such a way that it changes their mind. That they no longer think of believers as Christ followers as trouble. But that that ignorance is silenced. And notice that it says of foolish men, and, and this wording here would have meant a, a, a debase, a bad, a sinner, and again, the idea here is that they would see the good deeds. And the goal of all of this, again, would be that foolish, ignorant men would see our good deeds and that God may use that, that they would see our witness and that God would use that so that they would hear His Gospel. Don't forget that this terminates on God and His glory not, not Lewis looking better in the city or the neighborhood in which I live. It doesn't terminate on me being a good citizen. This command terminates on God and His 
glory and His name being proclaimed among the nations. People turning towards Him. Thirdly, the third thing I want you to see is where does the power, because you may be saying, oh, Lewis, if you're telling me I've got to uh, you know, do something with my chickens in my neighborhood because it's against my neighborhood covenant, where does the power of this submission come from? And we see it in verse 16. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as the covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves to God. So the power... The power for this submission is wrapped up in verse 16 in the fact that if you are a believer, you are free. You are free. You are free, first of all, from sin and death. And because of that, because you're free from sin and death, you are an alien. Your home is not in this world as many good old southern Gospel songs say, this world's not your home, you're just passing through. You're not of this world. And what that does is it frees us to use our time here for God and His glory, and so that we place ourselves in servitude of God, our King, the righteous Sovereign, so that, so that the entanglements of this world and uh, my, my desires and, 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 and my wanting to use my freedom in the opposite as a covering for evil, as a way to show somebody or to, to, to insist on my rights, because of who we are in Christ, because God has set us free, we have the ability to submit because we're not tied down to this world being all that there is. I remember for years I would listen to talk radio and I will not mention the name. I don't know if this lady is still with us, but there was a lady who would call into this secular talk radio show and she would always talk about how she was a Christian. And she would, uh, she would cause such a stir and it so angered me because what she was doing is that she was imposing her her rights as a Christian, and there were things that she just thought was crazy and against her uh, faith as a Christian. And so she did things like this. Um, she didn't have a driver's license, but she still drove a car. She wouldn't wear a seatbelt because she felt like that was the government intruding on her right as a free citizen. I don't think she paid taxes. And there were all sorts of other things that she didn't do. And when you heard her, she was just spewing venom. She was using her freedom. She was using her freedom. I would say she was using her freedom for evil. As a covering for evil. As a covering to do what she wanted to do. And Peter tells us, this is not who we are. You are to use your freedom for the glory of God. This is what you have been saved for and to do. Because we are free, because we are free, we have the power to submit. We have the power to endure. We have the power to, uh, to be maligned. We have the power to exist in governmental structures that, that we don't agree with because we have a higher calling and a higher purpose. And in this world, we know that we will suffer. Now, 
The last thing in this flow of this argument is, is this Paul or Peter lays out these imperatives, these commands in the last verse. And, and this is, a, I think, what Peter is doing is he's showing just a pattern for how we should live as citizens. And, and these imperatives are not optional. And so what I don't want you to do is to look at them and say, oh, you know, I've hit two out of three. Or, you know, I'm doing pretty good this week. I've hit three out of four. But, but I think that I know that this is a pattern and this is what we should strive to do. This is who we should strive to be. And there's been a lot of uh, talk about some of the wording here, but I think it's actually pretty simple. And so uh, let me just walk through this very briefly uh, in 17. Again, you have four imperatives or four commands here. And the first one is this, honor all people. Honor all people. Peter is calling us to look at our, our, our fellow citizen, our neighbor, our unsaved neighbor, our unsaved fellow citizen, and we are to show them honor. We are to show them dignity. We are to show them respect. They are people who have been created in the image of God, and we should treat them in such a way that they receive honor and respect from us. There should be a baseline level there, and I think that's what Peter what is, is telling us. The second thing that you see in this list, honor all people. Secondly, love the brotherhood. I, I think what Peter is doing is that we are to show honor to all people, but within the fellowship of faith, there is a deeper connection, a love for the brothers and sisters in the faith. We are a part of the same body. We are we are emboldened to one another and we should treat one another in certain ways. And the characteristic of that should be a love that the world looks at the way that we treat each other and sees that there is a difference. A deep bond. Notice the third thing. Notice the third thing. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Now you'll see in a second that Peter, as he's writing this, he starts with honor all people, ends with honor the king, and there is a distinction with love the brotherhood, and there's a great distinction here with fear God. God, God is our sovereign king. There are no rulers, no authorities, no powers that even come close to who He is. He is the only one that we fear. He is the only one that we show reverence to. He is the only judge of the universe in whom we tremble under, but who has also in His mercy and love given us the cross. He is the only one deserving of our praise. He's the only one deserving of all glory and honor in the universe. And so we are to fear Him and we are to set Him apart for who He is. And lastly, the last command here is honor the king. Honor the king. We are to give respect and we are to give um, not only to the person, but to the office. Um, and you know, one of the things I'm challenged about as I was working on this sermon is um, there's not much respect in Washington that goes around for one another. And we as Christians need to rise above that because we are commanded to honor the king. Whether it's 
in the offices that are placed above us, whether it's Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi, we need to be able to show honor there. And there could be a whole sermon on what that looks like. So, I'm going to transition, and I want you to, to hear two things, and then I want to jump into, with the time left, of um, uh, some application. But the first two things I want you to hear is, the first thing is this, is that what this verse is not promising us is this, is that if you live in this way that there won't be troubles. In, in fact, as we look beyond, Peter tells us how we are to respond when we do have troubles. And Peter was very well aware that um, troubles were coming and persecution did happen within five or six years of this uh, being written in extreme intense persecution. So the first thing is, is that living this sort of way in a society under government submitting to authority does not always mean that things will go well for you. The second thing is this. There are times and there are exceptions when we should not bow to the office. We know that the apostles at the beginning of the church uh, when confronted with obeying God or obeying the authorities said we are going to obey God over the authorities. We know of Daniel when he was commanded not to pray that he defied those orders and prayed. We know that his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they would not bow down to the king, that God saw that and God looked upon that and God saw, said that that was good. What I want to say to you is that I think that those times are few and far between, but there are those exceptions. And we could, again, have hours and hours on talks just on the exceptions. So, Again, the main goal, the main point as we go into um, some application is this, that we as Christians are to live in a way in which people see Christ in us. And there are stories and stories of Christians who were maybe jailed in really tough um, uh, countries and tough places where the guards or the neighbors around the jail saw the good deeds and saw how those men and women suffered and it opened their eyes to the gospel and they were saved by that. And so we are to live in such a way, no matter our circumstance, where people see Christ in us. Now, with the time left, I want to talk about some practical things and I'm going to do that in two ways. The first thing I'm going to do is I want to talk about some differences between uh, the society in which Peter was writing into and ours in the United States of America. And then I, I am going to talk about COVID-19. But really quickly here, the first thing that I want to say, one of the differences, and there's only three that I'm pointing out, is that the style of government that we live in and under is vastly different than the society and the governmental structure, that the authoritative structure that Peter was writing to. We live in a representative democracy, which means we have a voice. We have a vote. We have freedoms, such as freedom of speech, freedom of the press. We have the right to assemble. We can make our voice known. It's, it's given to us that we can do that. So one of the things that I want us to think about that I think that Peter would want us to think about, which I think God would want us to think about, 
is that is key in our form of government and the authoritative structure over us is the way in which we make our voice known. The way in which we express ourselves, the way in which we express our opinions, the way in which we vote, are we doing that in a loving, charitable way that is honoring to our fellow citizens, that is honoring to those in authority over us? And I'm going to say this, and this may upset some of you, but one of the things that, again, I've been convicted of is that I don't think it's very honoring for us to talk about um, political candidates and use names to slur them, like Sleepy Joe or Pocahontas or any other of these names that are thrown out there. That is not honoring. Now, so as Christians, we are held accountable. We have a voice And the way in which we use that voice is important. And even if we disagree with some of those people, the names that I just used, we need to do that in a way that is honoring to them and is glorifying to our God and our King, which means that we do it, we disagree out of a heart of love and out of a heart and out of a mind of charity. The second thing, and again... We could dig in and spend a lot of time here. The second difference that I want to point out is that we as a nation, the United States of America, we were born out of a revolution. Now, I'm not going where some of you are thinking I'm going. Um, I just want to say this. Revolution is in our DNA. Revolution is in our DNA. We see it everywhere. Um, and, and I can bring up two things that will get your blood boiling. Okay, so I want to say this on the outset because I don't want you to hear me wrongly. Um, I am a proud owner of firearms. And my brother and father have an arsenal that would rival um, probably some small states. And I stand for their right to have those, um, those guns. However, I have heard many Christians say things like this. If the government ever came to get my gun, they would pry it out of my cold, dead hands. Or what about this? Let's say that in the next election, um, a part, the party that came into the power immediately imposed a 20% tax increase. It's in our nature and our blood. Even as I say this, some of your blood pressure is rising. And the only thing I'm trying to point out is that it's in our DNA, this revolution. And I am just saying that as Christians, we need to think through how we do these things. And I'm going to give you a practical example of this. I am against what the governor of Michigan the way in which she has handled herself in this time of quarantine. I am against it. But I also do not think, and, and, I'm, and I am all for, because we're given the right to uh, protest and make our voice be heard, but I don't think we should be doing that as Christians with AK-47s and bulletproof vests. I, I, I think what we fall into many times is that who we are as a nation trumps who God is calling us to be 
as his people. Now, I, I want to point out something else this morning. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get much sleep last night and was up really early. And one of the things I saw this morning on the news in California, there are a group of churches that are protesting against um, the governor there and are trying to assemble sooner than what they would want them to. And I heard a pastor uh, speak his mind. Uh, he was firm. Uh, he, he gave out great reasons. And he also did it with a spirit of love and charity and honor, although he vehemently disagreed with the governor. All I'm trying to point out is that in America, because of how we were birthed as a nation, there is a part of our DNA that sometimes I think these verses call us to keep in check if our ultimate goal is to glorify God and for our witness to be seen through our actions, that we've got to be careful sometimes how we express our displeasure. I know that's a little controversial, but it's in the text. Third difference. The Bible, as Peter is writing to this group, it assumes minority status. It assumes minority status. And, and we, in our country, um, I wouldn't say that we don't know who are and who aren't Christians, but those who would identify with a Judeo-Christian worldview have a large voting block. And we have a voice in this policy. Now, we can't legislate uh, godliness, but we can and we should use our voice, use our voting block to be good neighbors. We know, if we are people of the Word and if we know the Scripture, we know what is best for our neighbors and what is best in forming structures that would make a society flourish. And so we should use that in order to love our neighbor well. However, the warning here is that politics should never replace our identity as a Christian. Again, the goal is that others see Christ in us as Christians. Now, to end with, to end with, I want to I want to put this in in context of what we're dealing with the with the coronavirus. In in some circles, um, I have heard calls that uh, our government and our state, uh, in shutting down churches. Um, we're trampling on our rights to assemble and to gather. And what I just want to tell you is, is that a, 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 I think a common sense, but just a careful viewing of what has gone on during this time would lead us to know that this isn't true. And over and over again, our governor, for example, has said that he never shut down churches, but he put out a call to pastors for the love of neighbor for the danger that was out there, to suspend meeting in, per, in person for a while. And so we had to be creative. We had to start doing things like YouTube our messages. Nobody has said that we can't broadcast our messages uh, to, and, and thankfully we have the technology that we can send it out to, to all the homes in which we are uh, uh, of our members. Now, it, it's evident... And I'm going to bring up somebody that's in the news and he has put himself in the news. But when you see people respond to this, 
like the pastor in Louisiana has responded to this, who has been jailed several times for this, the world, the world doesn't look on and see this guy. The non-Christians don't look on and see this guy of, oh man, he is really standing up for the gospel. He's really standing up for what he believes in. They understand what the government is trying to do and they look on and they look at him as crazy. They look on and see him as, a, uh, as somebody who's stirring up trouble. I heard this week somebody was talking about this guy and... Um, you know, he is also the guy that said that you should give all your stimulus checks to the church. What does it promote? What does it look like he is about? Is he about the gospel and being a good citizen and, 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 and what we have, some of the principles we have seen in this text? So by standing in defiance during this COVID-19 phenomenon, this church got a black eye and was seen as unloving and uncaring. Now, again, if there was an edict passed that said that um, reading from this Bible was hate speech, um, I, at some point, I'm, I'm, people here, pastors here, are going to be guilty. We're not going to stop declaring the Word of God. If at some point the government came in, and I've said this um, many, many times, if they came in and took away our tax-exempt status, we'll find a way to pay the taxes. You see the difference that we're going through here. So, in things like when the government is asking us, hey, we think that being a loving, good neighbor is when you begin to assemble back together, you do it at 50%. We're going to try to meet those guidelines. We suggest, here's the controversial one, we suggest that you wear masks. We're, we're going to do that. We may, some of you may not agree with that, but I think it's part of being a good neighbor, and this is not one of those places that we stick our heel in and revolt against. You know, our governor has been very clear that he is for the church, he is for us, getting back to normal, and we are fortunate in that. And so, this text in a very practical sense means that in moving forward, we're going to follow the recommendations of the, of the government and the authority over us, even when, even in those situations that we may not totally agree or we may not totally like. Because the purpose, our goal, our goal, is to live in such a way that we silence the ignorance of foolish men. That we live in such a way that, that we are seen as good. We are seen as gentle. And we are seen as lovers of our neighbor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, this is a word that has a lot of implications. And a lot of implications that uh, can rub us wrong sometimes as as Americans. God, I pray that God, that through this study, the spirit of this text would just come to the forefront and that we would devote ourselves to being a people who are seen by the society around us as good neighbors, as loving neighbors, as people who submit to authorities because of our love for you and our love for them. God, help us to be the kind of people who, who honor all men and who honor the authorities over us. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen.